my name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number, I don't know. Do you remember, sweetie? You don't don't, know. You almost didn't let me say my name there. I know. It's because we I'm all all thrown off because we have a guest, one of our best friends. I don't know. I don't know if she's our best friend. She's one of our best friends that we interview because we trust all of her information. I'm just worried that some of my like intimate best friends might get (laughs) mad that I call Rosalyn a best friend. (laughs) She is our like, she's one of our professional um, mentors. We follow her work. But before we pressed record, I said the reason I love Rosalind is not because she's smart, which she is. She is. It's because she's a, no- if you think Kathy and I are normal, just know that this is what Rosalind is yes. like. Just a very normal person who swears when she's not interviewing a podcast <laughs> and has kids that have flaws like we do. Shocking. And, Our kids have flaws. And, and is open to it be admitting it. So um, I don't know how to uh, introduce Rosalind. She wrote Queen Bees and Wannabes and Masterminds and Wingmen. And she's done a million other things. But those are the two things that I have gotten the most benefit from. So Rosalind, go ahead. Sweetie. And she was one of our uh, conference speakers a few years back. I'm looking at a picture of Rosalind in a Rosalind, poster behind right, right behind Kathy's head. And there's a picture, there's a headshot of Rosalind. So Rosalind Wiseman, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. I love hanging out with you guys, no matter no matter how, no matter when. Sweet. Um, so uh, we did a newsletter, which never happens. We never do newsletters. <laughs> and Rosalind probably is like, oh yeah, those two. Maybe I should write to them because I have this amazing resource and maybe we can help uh, get the resources out to our lis- listeners. And I said, Kathy, do you want to have Rosalind on? And she said, yeah, let's have her on. So here she is. So um, this is going to be a free-flowing interview. We're probably going to be all over the place. But let's just start at the beginning. You wrote a book. What is it called and why did you write it? Well, I just published, um, well, I co-authored a book called The Distance Learning Playbook for Parents um, that has just come out last week. And it is co-authored with um, these giants in the education field, John Hattie, Doug Fisher, and Nancy Fry. I think John's title in, he's Australian. I think his title is like teacher laureate or like teacher emperor of Australia or something like that. And he is, you know, they're just incredibly well-respected in the field of how to teach teachers um, how to teach. And what happened is they wrote a book called The Distance Learning Playbook for Teachers, and they wrote it over the summer, and then they realized that they should do it for parents. So they wrote to me on the 23rd of July, as in this July, as in like eight weeks ago, and said, would you write the social emotional learning component for parents? And I thought, uh... Uh, sure. And they were, they said, well, it has to be done in like three weeks because it has to be published as soon as possible. So, you know, one of my best and worst qualities, I think, is I say yes, and I don't really understand the impact of what it could possibly be. I just like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll try. So I did. And um, my team at my organization, Cultures of Dignity, cleared everything off my plate. And I wrote as fast as I could with these incredible people. And we have this book that we think is, I'm really, really proud of it um, because I know that parents are feeling really overwhelmed and stressed for really good reason. And there's so much out there and they need to know like what they need to concentrate on about their child's education and also how to manage themselves and their emotions, the emotions of their kids. 
So I'm really proud of this thing that um, we put out so quickly and it's, it's just an amazing thing. I just got it on, I keep looking over at my desk cause I just got the hard copies a couple yesterday. So <laughs> I'm like, it actually exists, but um, you know, I think we all need as much resources, the right kinds of resources as possible right now. Cause it's so easy to get overwhelmed. So this reminds me of a story real quick. After you did the last interview with this, Rosalind, I drove you back to your hotel in the city. And I remember I was asking you what you're going to do that night. And you have plan A was to go to dinner with a friend or whatever it was. And you're like, actually, the New York Times, I have this New York Times article due tomorrow. And I'm just trying to think like, <laughs> like if I was in charge of writing a New York Times article, I would have been like freaking out. And you're just like, oh, yeah, this New York Times article. So anyways, it, it reminds me. I'm always freaking out. God, I'm always freaking out. <laughs> okay. I mean, ask anyone I live with. I'm always freaking out. Yes. It usually happens like in my head, it, you know, so I don't hear what's going on around me. But <laughs> But no, I'm always freaking out. Yes. So how did you um, contribute to this in such a short time span? Like, was it like, where did, how did you know where to start? What, what happened mm-hmm. there? Well, I feel, I feel really strongly that we need, um, so the, the, the section that I was in charge of is called the principles, is what I've called the principles of well-being. And I think we need principles um, to drive and guide our behavior and our actions and our decisions. So everything for me, I mean, I run an organization called Cultures of Dignity and dignity is not negotiable. It's, it is to be worthy. It's to recognize the worth, to see and acknowledge another person or another thing. And another thing being like, you know, the earth, our environment. Um, and so it's really important to use dignity as a guiding principle and driver for how we make decisions and how we act. But there's also other principles like listening is being prepared to be changed by what you hear. And another principle is being easy on people and hard on ideas, even though we live in a culture and a country right now that is really hard on people and easy on ideas. You know, we be, you know, we people can't make a mistake without us thinking that they're the most terrible people in the entire world. Yet we're pretty easy on ideas. So there are principles that I think are just really important to drive us. And that's what I started with. And then I thought, you know, when you ask parents, what's the, when you ask them, like, what do they want for their children? Most parents will say, I want them to be happy. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? Cause it doesn't mean fail, not having failure or not getting into conflict. Cause those things are inevitable, but like, what does it really mean? And if we can focus on what makes people happy in a substantive way, we actually can get through incredibly difficult times and build emotional resilience as a result. And so the other part of the foundation of this principles of wellness was that the definition of happiness that I'm asking parents to consider and to bring into their own homes is having a sense of purpose, meaning beyond oneself, that you are working on something that gives you curiosity, um, that you have a hope of success, that you have meaningful social connection, and that you um, have a place to process and find peace. Mm. And so life can get pretty crappy in, in those, you know, throughout that time. And we're all in various ways, you know, really facing some significant challenges, but if we can identify things that make us happy within that definition, then we can really get through, we can really, it really centers us um, and keeps us like, we can get through this. We can get through this. My kids can get through this. I can get through this. My family can get through this. And then from there, it was the building blocks, component, the component parts of emotional management of like, what are your emotions and emotions change their facts in the moment, but they can change. And how can you manage yourself and your anxiety and how to give yourself self-compassion and how to give your child self-compassion. And then also how to have difficult conversations with your kids. Cause 
you know, all this lovely stuff I've just said does not take away from the fact that we get into big conflicts and people get super irritated with each other right now because we're all with each other constantly. So then how could I give parents and, and young people like very concrete information about how to have these difficult conversations? Mm. So it, it, you know, really for me, what the hardest thing to do was to choose, mm. right? To choose what was the most important. Um, and I, you know, I hope I did that. Mm. Um, so that's, that's how I, it was really the hardest thing yeah, was to choose. Well, you know, the language that we've been using a lot lately, Roslyn, with, with parents um, and with our own kids, with everybody, is that we have to think about not using our 2020 goal, or excuse me, our 2019 goals and trying to superimpose them onto 2020, that people keep trying to make things the same or go back to normal or do things the way we used to. And a conversation I was just having with my oldest daughter, who's a senior this year, is how, you know, because we were kind of talking about her experience and how this time has really been about finding that those internal, you know, um, like those grounding resources that live inside of us rather than the external things like I'll be happy once it's play season again. I'll be happy when my sports season happens. I'll be happy when I get it out. I get an A on that test. And we see how fleeting those external things can be and how this this whole season has been more of an internal game. And so like for you, you know, and I've looked through all of the stuff that you, you know, I follow everything you're doing, but like, how do you feel like your message, even though you've been living, you know, by these social emotional goals through your whole career, this is what you've been saying, but do you feel like that shift is now happening with parents? Like, are you seeing that the things you've been teaching all along are now making a bigger impact that people are getting why that's most important? Yeah. I mean, yes. And it's one of the reasons why I mean, I am, I have never, I mean, I feel like I worked hard before this. I mean, I, I really do. I feel like I have a pretty strong work ethic and I've, I work pretty hard. I have been working harder than I have ever worked in my entire life. And, um, and the reason is because, um, yes, people do recognize the importance of a culture of dignity. I think that people, what I've, what I realized is, is that people are so adrift or feel that there's an, things are so out of their control and that people are so nasty to each other all the time that when you come to a place that is saying, here's how we get through this, here's a foundation for how to get through this. And yes, we can get through this. Um, and dignity is the way, and dignity is the way that gives us the foundation to then be very concrete about how we interact with other people that even people, or especially people that we vehemently disagree with, that I that what I've noticed is that people become much more calm when they're talking to us. Um, it also means that our I mean, as an organization, we are doing our best to try and give the resources that we think are helpful to people. Um, and um, we, ha I mean, it, the schools, parents, and young people are coming to us. You're right, Kathy, in ways that they never have before. I think they need the language. They're desperate for the language because they feel like the language is so missing mm -hmm. from their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. So um, go ahead, sweetie. Then Just so she can like, you've told us this before and, and anybody who follows cultures of dignity kind of understands this differentiation, but will you explain again the difference between respect and dignity so people know what we're talking about here in terms of sure. what you're teaching? Sure. So the, the easiest way I think is if you're listening to this, that you should um, just think about the person that you respect or especially respected when you were young. 
and just think about how that person acted, um, treated other people. And probably the reason that you respected that person was not because necessarily of, because they had a position, like you, a parent, a grandparent, um, a teacher, a coach, a faith person. You didn't respect them only because of their position. You respected them because of the way they treated other people. And the way that they were treating other people was they were treating them with dignity. Um, they saw those people, they saw their worth. And one of the things that is really complicated and we are very confused about in this country is that um, we often think that respect and dignity are the same things and they're not. And we get into a, a situation where we often are being are, feel that we have to show respect to someone who is taking the dignity away of someone else especially if that person is, a, is in a position of authority, like you're in your family or in your faith community or a politician, or, I mean, that's what we get constantly right now are examples of people in positions of authority who are taking away the dignity of other people. And yet we think, oh, but I need to respect that person because of the position they have. And what we're saying at Cultures of Dignity is that actually people in positions of authority use that, that they use that to manipulate it so that we don't speak out about their behavior. And there's a way to be able to say, I will treat that person with dignity. There's a baseline of dignity that I will not go below. I will treat that person with worth, but I will not respect the actions of someone, regardless if they're in a position of authority. I will not respect their actions if they're not treating others with dignity. That's the power of these words. So it's that we really wanna give respect, that word, the power um, and the meaning that it deserves. And we often actually have weakened it to the point where you know, we think that where it really loses it. And the last thing I would say also is that for young people of color or people who are marginalized for various ways, the word respect is very different for them because it is really often used as a way for a person who represents an institution to dominate them and to get away with really unethical behavior. So for them, that when they hear the word respect, it is often used as a way to say, you must comply and obey with me or else, I will really harm you. Um, and if you speak out about that, then you're not being respectful, you're being defiant and disrespectful. So this word respect is really complicated and we have to see it for what it is so we can make sure that we're using it properly. Yeah, it's been weaponized, yeah. So It has absolutely been weaponized, yes. We interviewed Rosalind and we had, I think a good hour and 15 minute conversation about some of these things. So I just wanna invite, and I'll put in the show notes the last interview we did with Rosalind, I think it was last year or two years ago. I wanna pivot a little bit just because because what interested me the most when you said, hey, maybe, or when we invited you to be on the podcast, was the name of the book is um, The Distant Learning, Distance Learning Playbook. So I'm thinking all three of my daughters are spending a lot of their time in front of their laptops uh, right now in a way they never have regarding school. So I went through the book and there's a few things that kind of are kind of like the lowest hanging fruit of things that we can do. So like, this is the part of my brain that's like, okay, just tell me what is good practice in regards to this. And I don't know if this is the part of the book that you wrote or not. So I might be catching you off guard, but I'm sure you oh, can. I don't care. You just, no, I'd love to know what you think is the lowest hanging fruit. Actually. I mean, this book just came out. I have no yes. idea. So this is great for me. Thank um, you. So the first thing is uh, they, it says it might comfort you to know that the research tells us that teaching from a distance is not necessarily more ineffective than teaching in person. That was surprising to mm -hmm. me because I just figured you're in the classroom, the physical classroom, that's got to be better because otherwise, why would we be doing it this way the whole time? And I just wonder if you have any thoughts about that. 
Yeah, so that is John Hattie's work. It's not mine, but it is really, um, it was a, a, a huge insight into education that really this is about um, that you could, and this is before the pandemic, that you could um, teach young, you could teach, excuse me, and learn um, online just as effectively as you could in person. And it really is about being able to create a sense of belonging in a classroom, whatever the class, however you define the classroom, or however the classroom is being defined by you um, and by the teacher. And so what you could, so what's really hard is that uh, and challenging for some teachers, I mean, it, here's the difference, right? I mean, these are two big differences. One is that there's, and I include myself in this, that very few teachers have really known and come into their practice by virtually te by teaching and preparing. And that's the only way they're going to do it. That's the first thing. The second, and this is happening right now around the country, is that we're changing. We're, we're some school districts around the country are going from like virtual to hybrid or hybrid to virtual. And so we're not giving teachers the ability and the students to be able to settle into one kind of learning. And that is, so the chaos and disruption and disconnection is really a problem. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've been hearing from teachers who didn't really know how to teach virtually, um, just got their sea legs basically under them. And then their school district is saying, you're going to go virtual in four days. And by the way, go get childcare for your, fam for your own family. Um, and so that is the kind of chaos that makes things really, really tough. Um, and, you know, the other, so... It, so we know that vir virtual learning, if done well um, and done it, you know, in, in a way that allows for the teacher to create the practice of online learning and is supported that way, can be just as effective as, um, as in-person learning. And certainly there's in-person learning that's ineffective too. So, so in and of itself, when we look at it, it actually, the research shows um, before the pandemic, it shows that it could be just as effective as online learning, as, excuse me, as in-person learning. Um, so what's interesting is our daughters today, two of the three had their first in-person experience. Yeah. <laughs> and I still don't know this. I, I want to talk to them. The one just got home, but, and Kathy, maybe you can answer this sure. for me. So the teacher is teaching the kids that are in the physical classroom, and is she also teaching the kids that are at home on their computer? I think, I Correct. would imagine so. So are the kids in the physical classroom locked in on the teacher or are they locked in on their screen? So like, do they have screens? Absolutely. Because mm -hmm. they yeah, have to- That part I don't know. They have right. to teach the kids who are on Zoom and the kids in their classroom. So like the teacher can't even do what it is that they usually do in a classroom. They're going right. to, they have to be, they're forced to be locked behind their camera. You know, I'm thinking of a teacher likes to like get on the, I'm going to date myself, like the chalkboard and all that. <laughs> chalkboard. And like walk around and body language, you know, like all that. Yeah. And it's hamstringing the teachers, I think. Yes. It is. It's really hard, and it's really hard, and and at the same time, it comes from a good it comes from a good place because we're trying to make. Look, our public school system was never an equitable place because it's based on tax resources of um, property taxes for the most part in this country. So it's it's always been reflective of the systemic racism and systemic classism that this country is built on. And um, so, it, and it really, if like, you're like, wait, what did she just say? Like really go look at how taxes have been distributed to public schools and you will see 
how unequal our school system, public school systems have been. So, um, so really don't like, you know, don't take my word for it, educate yourself about that. Um, and so when we look at that, what's happening is, is that school systems were really, you know, we're like, well, we got, this is an equity issue. We have a significant equity issue here with virtual learning which frankly we didn't do in some ways was not as much part of our language before virtual learning about the inequities of education. Um, and so what we're doing with virtual learning is we, if kids don't feel comfortable coming to school then, or they got to take care of their siblings or their parent, what all the different kinds of things, then the school is saying, well, we have to have this available for, for online learning and, and for in-person learning. I have to, so here's something I've learned because I'm doing a lot of teaching. So I go, the one like sanity, I've had two sane, like things that keep me sane. There's a couple, right? Like my husband and my son make me really, really good meals. The <laughs> um, second is that I watched this like this lovely little British um, show called The Dog House. And it's pretty much the same format every single time where a family goes and then they get and like match made, match a matchmaking of like their dog and the family. <laughs> same format every time. It's like a security blanket for me. So second thing I've done. And the third thing I've done to maintain my sanity is I've been going to these dance classes that I'm really bad at because, and they're doing it outside and I love it. It's like my huge sane thing. So it's this place called Alchemy of Movement in Boulder. And there's the teachers I've been, I was watching them teach dance class, which literally they're all over the place, but they were so good at checking in mm on their um, online students. And so I was watching them. I'm in the middle of like some ridiculous, I don't even know what I'm doing. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, these people are excellent at teaching online and in person at the same time. So I just watched them mm -hmm. and learned from them. And somehow I've tried to like, you know, zero in on the kids that are, are, are online and like super check in on them. Um, so that's, I think that inspiration comes in a lot of places. Um, and so that's an example of like, I think the teachers that I'm watching are really, really good at what they're doing and they're virtual and in-person learning at the same time. I've, I've been watching similar things. If it be like in real life, like, you know, the teachers I know, or even like on TikTok, like watching some of what the teachers are able to do. And it's like, these people should be getting paid a million dollars for oh the amount gosh. of energy they're having to. And, you know, with that said, I feel like this is important because Todd and I have been talking about this, but from your, you know, your perspective with this book mm -hmm. you wrote with these people that you are working with, these educators, mm -hmm. is that we are finding um, in our own community and the communities around us, there's a lot of infighting, obviously, about what should be happening, what their kids need, what telling everyone else what kids need. And that one of the words that I found scattered throughout your book is partnering with the schools, <laughs> partnering. And mm -hmm. that there's a lot of desire to pinpoint the reason this is happening and deciding who to blame. If it be the teachers, yeah. the administration, the superintendent, the parent next yeah. door who let the family had a party, whatever. So right. could you give us some like words of wisdom about this partnering yeah. with the school? Oh my God. Like, can we please give each other some grace? Like for goodness sakes, like, I mean, honestly, if there was ever a time to give yourself a break and other people a break, um, this is it. I mean, I don't know if you want to go around feeling bitter and nasty and not being able to sleep and drinking too much and whatever you're doing, like eating potato chips. I mean, like all day long, like if, if there was ever a time that we need to say to ourselves, okay, we need to take a step back and we actually need to be chill with each other and give ourselves some grace. This is it. And I guarantee you, like I'm telling like the teachers that I was talking about, I have teachers who just got 48 hours notice that they're going to go from virtual to hybrid learning, right? And they have 48 hours to take care of their childcare and prepare their lessons and all of this stuff. 
And if you're a parent and you're annoyed because maybe the, the teacher didn't set up the schoology lesson assignment well so that your child maybe um, did their homework, but it didn't look like they did their homework, or maybe the teacher was like late three minutes to class, or maybe they went over, or maybe whatever it was. The first thing that we need to do is just check ourselves of like, of like, how am I feeling today? Am I feeling awesome? Am I feeling like I've got everything together? No. Well, then maybe I can, maybe I can afford the same grace to the other person who, by the way, probably has their own children and is now responsible for doing a job all day long with all of these kids who have, by the way much more expertise on this platform than they do. I mean, I felt so bad for teachers around the country when some of them, God help them, who didn't grow up with technology, like didn't know how to mute all on their classroom. And then, you know, Cardi B, I'm, I'm not going to be all graphic, but like Cardi B drops this drops this song called yes. WAP. WAP. Right? And I, I saw it drop, I saw the video and it was right before school started. I was like, no way. This is gonna be the perfect prank that is gonna go across the country when kids are virtual learning and some teacher is not gonna know how to do mute all. And the, and like, you just saw these things you're like, oh my God, I felt so sorry for these teachers. Cause like the mute all is right there. It's right there, but they're so, like flummoxed and I've been flummoxed on, you know, doing things online all the time or like obvious stuff just doesn't get to you. And you're like, I was like, Oh my God, there's just, <laughs> it's just not fair. It's just, not it's a setup. I, and I, you know, I was like, Cardi, come on. Like you could have dropped that like two weeks from now. Like, come on. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So I just, I think grace, I think absolute grace. And I also think, um, the other thing is I don't think we should be saying to our kids all the time, like, how's it going? And, you know, we never should be saying like, how's it going in school? How's it going in school? But, but to start like, how, how'd your school go to today? Like these kinds of repetitive questions are just so they're not helpful. They're not. Um, I, what I would do is just have a moment, like create a space in your home where you can have peace and quiet mm -hmm. and just say every day, we're going to make sure that we have, everybody has some peace and quiet to process and that means that the phone cannot be there at all, which at I want to ask you guys something, but I've been talking a lot. No, that's all right. So speaking of which, speaking of phones, though, so that, um, I, I copy and pasted some of the stuff that you sent to me in your book. And that some of this is very obvious, and I know that. But in regards to distant learning, because, you know, the classroom is something the kids, our kids are already familiar with that. What's new is you know, being behind your computer screen while you're learning from your teacher. So the first thing is just turn your, make sure they don't have their phones on. Like, like that's the ultimate distraction. And I don't know how, like, that's a whole nother conversation on how to manage that with your kid. And we're not going to get into that. Well, we can a little bit, but Okay. Um, and then, so turn off the phones. And then the second thing is encourage your child to keep the camera on. And I want you to maybe talk about that. And then lastly, teach your child how to turn off the self view feature. So they aren't forced to look at themselves all day. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if you could riff on any of those three things. Yeah, sure. Okay. So first of all, I just watched last week, The Social Dilemma. Have mm -hmm. you guys watched that? I have it in my queue and part of me wants to force my daughters to watch just, it because the trailer it. looks so good. I, yeah. So I forced, as in, sat, we sat down with our senior and told my, my kid in college to watch it. And I think it's really one of the most helpful um, things that I have seen that just levels the playing field that we're all being manipulated together 
And um, he really, you know, I actually, he was doing his homework. My senior was doing his homework and we were watching it. And um, since multitasking isn't a thing, um, I said to him, this is, I've never done this before. I was like, I will pay you. I will pay you $20 to close your computer and not do your homework right now so that you can focus on what this documentary is, is saying. And so then we negotiated, I actually didn't pay him the 20 bucks. He stretched. He was like, okay, fine. I'll stretch while I'm, while I'm watching the, the documentary. And I saw him pay more and more and more attention. And one of the interesting things about it, which I kept my mouth shut about, he was like, I think this really affects girls more than it does boys. And I was like, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and then we talked about it later. Cause I really was like, are you, are you kidding me with that? But, um, but I really strongly suggest people who are listening to this to watch it and then discuss it and watch it with your children. Cause it'll completely change the way I think that you will approach these, the issues of social media. So I would say to you right now that the, th the challenge that we have that Todd, that you talked about is they're online all the time and they have to be and for academics and they have to maintain their friendships in ways that they never have before. And that's true. They have to, they have to have a sense of belonging. It's wired in their brain. Their friendships are the most important thing for them to be able to get through this. And before the pandemic, we had off the chart rates of, of depression and anxiety, which we've talked about before. So this is, these are all real. These are all real things. Um, and so this is the way I would look at it, that I look at social media in three, as social social media in three ways or technology. One is connection to other people. The other is creation of things, creation of stuff, content that could be super cool and consumption. And so connection to people and creativity of things on technology is fine, is great. And consumption is what we have to do our best to stop because that's where being we are being manipulated. That's where we're feeling insecure. That's where we're feeling, that's what's making us the feeling the worst. That consumption stuff is coming at us all the time. Um, and so for your kids, what I would do is I would I would bucket those three concepts and say, so connection, your, your friends and maintaining those friendships are incredibly important. So how do we do that? And each way, you know, kids have different ways of doing it. All of those things matter. Group chats, FaceTime, video games when they're playing with their friends, all of those things matter. Um, and what are you creating? Awesome. Mm -hmm. What are what are you passively consuming? If you're scrolling in your room and scrolling through TikTok and scrolling through Instagram, scrolling through through um, Snapchat, then that is impacting your mental health, and we have to control that. Which means you have to go outside a certain amount of time. You have to have a place to process and find peace. You have to be able to spend time with our you know the family. So I think we can. We have to control this. I think it just exacerbated the situation we were in already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure that the documentary, which I have not seen yet, explains explains how seductive and how intelligent whoever makes these platforms are to keep you as long as possible and also to sell to you too. Like I we just went shopping for my daughter's birthday and you know, I know this is obvious, but like the influencers have so much of that influence. influence. Like, yeah. like there's no, like they control everything as in regards to what these teenagers look at now. It's no longer what it was in the eighties and nineties. It's all about the YouTube channels and, and all that. And the most important thing I think is the, when we're having these conversations with our kids about these things, because it needs to be an ongoing, ongoing conversation is I, you know, I just mentioned TikTok, and I will say that I got it this summer and I can scroll through TikTok for 20, 30 minutes. And I'm like, what the hell have I been doing? And so we are very quick to blame our kids for having this like desire or this 
this kind of where it just becomes a thing. And I am a 49 year old woman who is scrolling through a bunch of people who are 20 years younger than me and maybe not having the exact same impact, but I'm glued. So it's also recognizing that I'm going off of what both of you said that, yes, this is a challenge is consumption and the scrolling. And yes, we need to help our kids, but it's not like their fault. Mm. That's the, that's the thing. So can you, you know, can you speak to that, Rosalind? Like, how do we, what's yeah, I mean, the I words? The thing that I'm really worried about that, look, I mean, our kids are going to be, I think we need to, the, I, I, they need to realize that there are countless cognitive psychologists who are constantly, it's not even frankly the influencers. Um, I think it's, it's well, that's a manifestation of it. It's like the billboard of thousands of cognitive psychologists who are sitting around Facebook and sitting around Google and, and Instagram as part of Facebook. I mean, right? They are just, all they're doing is focusing on manipulating your brain. That is all they're doing so that they can feed you different advertisements and keep you on so that you will buy whatever it is and, and your attention. And so you will buy whatever it is that's being advertised. And so it takes, it's really important for us to all realize that we are up against a, such a, a form of, a force that we have no, we have like, you can't beat that because they are all they're doing is trying to create a way for us to need our brains to constantly go back and constantly go back. And Kathy, that's right. It doesn't matter how old you are. In fact, I think older people can some uh, have sometimes the hardest time when it think when we talk about news. I mean, young people have much better idea of the kinds of fake, you know, information that's coming at them or media literacy, right? I've told my dad like a million times to stop sending me stuff because it drives me insane. Like it draw he was like I had to say to my father you have to stop sending me um, things about COVID, things about the election, because I, I am doing my best to maintain my sanity during the day, like sort of overall, and you are making it worse and things change every single day. So you need to like, I need you to stop, recognize and respect that boundary. It took him like three, it took him a little while. It did take him a while, but he is good now. He is good now. Although I did say to him, he had to watch the social dilemma. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I've never asked you this before. But you must watch this and so you understand how, how your anxiety is getting jacked up every single day. Mm -hmm. um, but for our kids, Kathy, I mean, I think like we've got to know like we, the only way we get through this is like these principles of how are we going to conduct ourselves um, that we are going to give ourselves the time and the grace to be able to say we are in this really hard time. And to sit with your feelings, but to know that feelings change. Yes. Right. I mean, so the, the other thing I wanted to you all that I wanted to talk to you all about is that, you know, over the summer, when I thought about what do people really need, they don't need some long, big book for me or some long curriculum. They need things that are super easy. And so we created these things called tiny guides that are super simple about like, what does anxiety do to your brain? What is cognitive load? What are frustration points? Um, what is shame? What is anger? So that you can use it for yourself and you can use it for your kids. And it's, and I have to tell you, there was one called emotional hijacking. Mm. I used it with my, I explained it. My son was going through a breakup this summer and he was really upset. And I used the, I actually used the tiny guide of emotional hijacking to explain to him what was going on in his brain. And my kid is pretty cynical about me telling him anything. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time in my, my career and as a mom that about 20 minutes later, he actually used the word emotional hijacking to describe what was happening to himself. Mm. And he just used the word emotional hijacking. It's become part of his vocabulary. So the more vocabulary we have about our emotions, the better off we're going to be no matter what, like right now or 
you know, when things quote unquote get better or whatever, you need emotional skills and management to understand what's going on in your body and your brain that dramatically impacts your relationships in your life and how you manage yourself just from like going to the grocery store and being in your car to like your most important relationships, like your kids. Exactly. I, well, first of all, there's two things. That's what's most, you know, it sounds funny to say, but it's most fun to learn about our, you know, Mm -hmm. interpersonal neurobiology, because then at least it's not about having control. It's having understanding. I love your language. And now you have to give us the definition of emotional hijacking. So we can use it. Emotional hijacking, my, my, my super academic uh, definition is when the, when your emotions make it impossible for you to think clearly where you either shut down or you explode. Mm. Um, neither of which gives you a way of thinking clearly through a situation (laughs) to make it better for yourself or for the other people that are around you. And, um, I think actually what's most powerful about understanding emotional hijacking is that you can come off and react in ways that you actually really don't want to. Mm. And so it's actually a feeling of, and in some ways it can feel in the immediate, like you are controlling the situation, but actually the situation is controlling you. Yes. So um, it's really important to have, especially, I mean, it's true for all of us, but for young people to understand the very strong feelings that they're having and to be able to put words and guidelines and rails around it, Um, makes them feel like, oh, like this out of control feeling I'm having actually has a path and I can move, I can be a part of that path and navigate with that path. This, this feeling is real, right? The feeling I'm having is real, but a feeling can change. And that can be incredibly, frankly, life-saving for kids as well. Yes. Like, like when we talk about mindfulness a lot and emotions are very connected to that in that this is a wave. And I love that you said emotion is a fact in the moment. You do feel that way, but it's not forever. It's not, this is an emotion. This is what you're feeling right now. And so just so I can be clear, the book is one thing, but then mm-hmm. these little book, like explain the difference. So if people yeah. are like, I want yeah. all so of this. The distance learning playbook is a book for about how to support your child's education. And my section is all about social emotional learning. And there are things in that about emotions in that, in that book. Um, it's purple. I always go by color. Purple's always I'm like, it, it's purple. <laughs> That's how you can remember it. The tiny guides are things that you can find um, from us at Cultures of Dignity okay. with, that are 18, frankly, that are well-designed PDFs that you can choose um, about understanding your emotions, defining emotions, how your brain works and how to practice. So there's 18 of them total. And those are all things that you're going to get online. Mm. Well, and I will speak. So I got, uh, Rosalind has, I, I unsubscribed to almost all emails because they're tedious. Like Rosalind's the one in the newsletters. Rosalind's one that I keep because there's always something good in it. And about a month ago or six weeks ago, I saw there was a tiny book on anxiety and I'm like, it's such a basic thing. So I'm, I'm pulling up my copy right now and they, they're really expensive. They're actually $3 a piece. <laughs> and, and it's funny because it's 22 pages and you know, in the page three, it says when you're feeling this way and it's talking about anxiety, you have two options. You could either freak out or slow down. And then they say option one, freak out. This is why you're freaking out. This is when you're freaking out. And then option two is slow down. These are some of the tools you could do. And on every page, there's like no more than like 30 or 40 words and there's graphics on it. It's like 
a really, this is a wrong choice of words, but dumbed down version, but it's accessible. Like you can read it in like four minutes. It's like cut to the chase. It's a cut to the chase. So this sounds like, uh, oh, I just need to plug Rosalind's book. I'm telling you that this is so in my wheels because Kathy reads like four books a week and I read like four books a year. (laughs) This is one of those things like, I'm like, I'm anxious. What do I do right now? Like, and it talks about Mm -hmm. breathing techniques and I cannot tell you guys how much I think that these are valuable. And I look forward to getting more of them, but I would assume anxiety is probably the one that has sold the most. That's just a guess. You're right. It is It is the one that sold the most. And I, I will say, like, it's a really good lesson for me because, Todd, like, I'm someone, you, you all know this. Like, I'm always like, okay, what is the most amount of information I can give to parents? Me too. What is this situation? What's that situation? All this stuff. I'm always giving, like, what's the most? And then I realized through this process of the tiny guides that probably the best might be the least, mm-hmm. which has caused me some amount of like, oh gosh, <laughs> I need to like, re- you know, like identity crisis, but it's like, okay, live and learn. Like, actually, this is really helpful. And it's by far the thing that's worked the most with my own children. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that sometimes like I'm, when I'm telling my children something and that's when I can get really long winded and I'm learning, I'm practicing, but I'll do this whole thing that I think is so good and so academic and educated and experienced. And then my last sentence, I'll be like, and then you don't have to do that. And they'll go, oh, I don't have to do that. And that's all they needed was that last four words. And everything else was like, Bloop. that was just me like impressing myself with my knowledge. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a big fan of less words. I know. I'm I'm aware. And words is my love language too. So I'm always like, tell me all the words. And Todd's like, I want no words. Yeah. No words. (laughs) All right. Um, Okay. Closing thoughts. Anything we didn't hit that you want to make sure we hit Rosalind? Oh gosh. I think that creating community like we're doing right now, like you're part of my community, you know, like, you know, I, I was thinking, I, th- I think that's just the most important part is that we've got to create community right now in all different kinds of ways. And it's, and, you know, maybe, maybe it won't feel as good. And I hope, you know, soon to, at some point to be able to be back in your studio with my cup of tea and, mm. you know, coming through Chicago with some books tour or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, but it doesn't take away from how important the community is now and what we do now. And I think that that's really important to remember. Mm. Me too. Um, so Rosalind, will you stay on for two seconds after we close the show? Absolutely. Okay. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Rosalind. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, you need to tell you her website and where they can find That's everything. That's probably not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, cultures of dignity dot, help me out. Tom. I kind of know if you're a .org or .com. Cultures of dignity.com. And if you go, there's uh, under publications, I'm on it right now. You can scroll to Tiny Guides. That's how to get the Tiny Guides. And then below that is a distance learning playbook for parents. So there's a bunch of stuff, but those are the two that we highlighted today. Anything else, Rosalind, that I want to... Well, Rosalind, sure? congrats yeah, on actually, the... Actually, I do. There's oh, a good. coupon that was just sent to me. Oh, if your people go to... There's a coupon code that is D as in David, LPP25. So D, L, D as in David, L as in Lion, P as in Paul, P as in Paul, 25. And you get a 25% discount um, if you go to Corwin.com, which is the publisher. And they will give you a 25% discount off the book. So that's if they buy it off Corwin, not off of Amazon, Correct. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Go to go. Sweet. Well, I I know that you probably are like I need to set some boundaries and not say yes to everything, but I'm glad you said yes to doing this book because I think it's going to help a lot of people and you know, the tiny guides as well. Like you like you said you're busy because we really need your wisdom right now and I appreciate. Now, I also rest 
Like I have to do the self-care thing. I support that as well. But thank you for just doing what, yeah, good. Drink your water. (laughs) But thank you for being here in the world and helping us through this time. Rosalind Wiseman, thank you so, so much. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Zen Parenting Radio. Um, Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen Talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.